Welcome to the No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. Memorial Week, kind of slow, but we got it figured out, Matt. We're going to deep dive into the AFC and North like we did the AFC East, and this division is much more competitive, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it's fitting because I just got back from Steelers minicamp this morning, and I'll be there the next two days, so I'm on top of the situation, ready to roll. Cool. So let's talk a little uh, a little news before we start, and that's what we'd like to do. And, you know, this time of year there's really not a lot to talk about, but, you know, I mean, there is, there is some stuff. And um, I, I guess, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tampa Bay, is that news to you? Um, I think I've never been a fan. I mean, from day one I've always thought he was an overrated player, even that year with the Jets that he did well and everyone thought he was great. And I thought the tape didn't match up to the player uh, or to the hype. But to his credit, I mean, I think he's a good number two. And this move implies to me that Tampa's in it to win it, you know, that we're not rebuilding anymore. If we lose Jameis, we're going to have a, you know, for a game or two, we're going to put some money into the backup. And, you know, they've put a lot of money and resources into making this team better than it was a year ago. Then I think they've succeeded. Right. And, and this is just a question because it's on everybody's mind. Is And I know you say Kaepernick is a specific fit, and that's a, not a specific and that's not a fit for many teams. Is Fitzpatrick a better fit? for the Buccaneers and James Winston than a guy like Kaepernick. I only ask that, not to fuel the fire, but to maybe respond to the fire because that's, you know, oh, my God, Kaepernick so much better than all these guys. That's what everybody says every time somebody gets a job and it's not Colin Kaepernick. You know, every thought the Kaepernick thing a little, and what I said before on it was it's still true. I mean, his tape is frustrating. He leaves a lot out there. He has a lot to do as a po- a lot of work to do as a pocket passer. You know, maybe you don't want a very different style quarterback as your number two. If you're a lot of teams out there, but the more and more I think about it, and the more weeks that go on, he belongs in the NFL. You know, I mean, he's if you put him out there, it doesn't mean doom and gloom. You can still win a game in the NFL with this guy. Is he better than Fitzpatrick? Um, Probably. But that offense is very much an 80s offense. You know, a lot of running, play action, deep shots, big arm quarterback. Um, Kaepernick scares me in that regard. You know, I mean, they don't incorporate a lot of running from the quarterback position. You know, I mean, Winston's an okay athlete, but certainly not great. Um, so I guess for the, the Bucks, I think Fitzpatrick's probably the better fit, but, I mean, I don't really like either. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here's another player that I know you're not, you haven't said a lot of great things about this offseason. He got a job since we last talked, and that is what Garrett Blunt in Philadelphia. I see yeah, that he's the box for the Eagles. Yeah, and we've been saying this for a while now that, you know, the Eagles' backfield is very unsettled still. I thought a lot of us, you know, many of us thought that they would go running back somewhat early in the draft, particularly a bigger guy. You know, they have Smallwood. They had Sproles. Instead, they went for Pumphrey, who is certainly not a bigger guy. 
Um, I think the writing's on the wall that once um, Matthews is cleared medically, he'll be released. I mean, he's got what, neck and spine situations. I mean, that's bad. Maybe he never plays again. Not the most trustworthy guy to begin with. Um, and Blunt's going to be your short yardage, play with a lead, complement to their stable backfield. And if I were to rank all the all the running back situations in the league, I still would put Philadelphia pretty low on that list. But I think the rest of the team is noticeably better. And I think he helps them. And they probably can get by with it, right? I mean, <clears throat> you know, you say it's ranked low, but they can prob- we can probably see the Eagles go to the playoffs and say, you know what, the running back game didn't hurt them. I mean, you buy that? I do, and I think it's a very good line. I think Wentz will be a star. I mean, I know I'm, uh, he finished the season slow and all those things. Um, my hunch is whenever we talk after the season about team needs, running back will be near the top of the list for Philly. But that doesn't mean they can't get to where they want to go or win that division with the combination of Blunt, Sproul, Smallwood, and that crew. Right, right. Um yeah, I, I just think the Eagles. I did a column on them last week. They they got a lot done this offseason. They really did. I think I'm going to pick them to win the division. I know I'm going to be yeah. on an island there, but I'm really high on them. You know what? I, I, I what I liked what they did, and it, it's it sounds elementary, but they gave their quarterback weapons he needed. They 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 recognized that we got a quarterback that we can win with. We paid a lot to get him. We had some deficiencies last year. It hurt him, so they fixed those deficiencies. They played to the strengths. They got their strength better, and, and, and that's smart. It sounds like something every team does, but it's not what every team does. No, you're right, and it drives me crazy to, you know, in their case, trade up or use a premium pick on a young kid that you make the face of the franchise and is on billboards all over your city but then you don't take the next step and give him the pieces that he needs as he's learning. And last year he didn't have them. I mean, I, I quote this every time I talk about the 2016 Eagles, is Nelson Aguilar led their wide receivers in snaps last year. I mean, he's, he's a borderline roster guy. And, you know, Green Beckham was a total flop. You know, now Ertz and Jordan Matthews are all of a sudden your – second, third, fourth options as opposed to the one everyone's rolling coverage to. Right. Yeah, no, I, I liked what they did there. A couple other news stories, and, and it's fitting into this division where we're going to spend the rest of the show. They have North. McCourty goes to Cleveland. I know that got a lot of applause and a lot of kudos. I mean, do you think that was a great fit, a great pickup by Cleveland? He was out. He was on the open market for a while. Yeah, and I think that says a little bit more about him than it being a great yeah, fit or exactly. a great move. I mean, their corners in Tennessee last year were really, really bad. And I'm actually writing an article about this right now that I'm still worried. This, I know this is what you asked me, but I'm still worried about the Titans' corner situation. I mean, I know they used a first-round pick on a Dory Jackson and, you know, spent big money on Logan Ryan, but – I think you know pretty much all their guys are best as slot corners. I, I don't know that those guys are ideally to be in, the, in on the outside, and their depth of corner isn't great. You know, which br- brings me to why release McCourty to begin with. 
But then he sat out there, and the NFL kind of told us all they need to know, that if, if the league would have looked at him as a starting, you know, a quality starting corner, he would have been on the street for an hour. <laughs> you know, I mean, it wouldn't have taken long at all. But as much as I've praised the Browns and I like their plan, their secondary is atrocious. So why not? Yeah. You know, they have the cap room. I think it's going to be a quarterback aside. I think that will be their massive um, focus this upcoming offseason is attacking that secondary from all shapes and sizes. But did that secondary get better with him? Didn't get worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, that might be a stretch. Um, I bet he plays a lot of snaps, especially early in the season. I don't think he's going to come in there and retard the growth of a high draft pick. You know, they just haven't gotten around to that area of their roster yet. So, right. you know, I guess it makes them better for 2016. Right. Right. Green cut in Pittsburgh, I- I'm kind of trying to write with the net. Will this affect them? Do you think this will change the Steelers' approach in free agency? I know he wasn't a huge dollar pickup, but he was a guy that kind of out of their comfort zone that they went and picked up, and I think it surprised people around the league because the Steelers' approach in free agency is usually to re-sign their own and you know continue through the draft and bargain shop in free agency. Maybe not quite as allergic to free agency as Green Bay is, but certainly reluctant. And then they spent some money on Green, and it was a complete disaster. They paid $6 million for six games, and they didn't get anything out of them. No, they really didn't. And it's unfortunate. I mean, I think there's a chance he never plays again. You know, there's a chronic situation. Um, They didn't draft one, which I found a little odd, although – you know, while I was broadcasting, we were often talking about, boy, these are prospects they should be looking at when they come up on the clock. And rarely did a tight end jive with that. You know, never at one point in the draft did I say, boy, I can't believe they took that guy with this tight end on the board. It just didn't really work out for them. So I think they may have if they you know, if it would have lined up better for them. Um, also, what's interesting to me is almost philosophically is almost my entire lifetime, I mean, really my entire lifetime, they've had one type of tight end here, Mark Bruner, Heath Miller, you know, in line, old school Y. And when they signed Green, it just so happened that was right right after Martavis Bryant got suspended, and then they drafted Coates, and I'd said then they knew Bryant was not going to be here for the year, and they tried to replace him any way possible with some downfield talent, go-up-and-get-it type guy, a very does that mean where they're changing what they want from the tight end position, or is it just a Martavis contingency plan type of deal? I guess we don't know, but because they really haven't brought anybody since. So if they did plan on flexing their tight outs, tight ends out wide, and using them like Jimmy Graham or like much of the rest of the league does, we're still not going to see it. And I don't know if it'll slow them from signing the next guy because they kicked the tires on Dante Hightower this year and they were talking to some corners and, um, you know, they didn't sign a big-name guy despite having cap room. But I think what's interesting is their offensive line is so deep and then after drafting Smith-Schuster and with Martavis coming back, I could see a lot more six offensive line sets or even four receiver sets and minimize the tight end position a little bit. Well, that's so you think it's for this year, basically? I'm sorry, what's that? 
just for this year because they, they have to or they just go away from it? I mean, their five offensive linemen are really good. You know, obviously Ben's going to be on the field. Brown and Bell are going to be on the field. So they only leave three spots to go out, to trot out there. And I would think Bryant will be out there a lot. You know, there's a lot of other options that are better players than their number one tight end, Jesse James, at this point. So it wouldn't shock me if they come out with six offensive linemen, Bell, and three receivers. And if you play nickel against that, they're going to pound you with six offensive linemen. Or if you play base against that, then Ben motions Le'Veon Bell out wide, and he's got six good blockers against you know three linebackers. So they have a lot of different ways to attack you. I mean, I don't have any inside scoop on it, but that's how I would handle it. Interesting. Do you, would it be worth their while to look into Gary Barnett? Yeah, we were talking about that on the air a little bit today, too. Um, okay, yeah, I, I think it would. You know, I mean, he's familiar with the division. He's considered a high-quality guy. I think he's a starting-caliber tight end. He's probably every bit as good as Jesse James still. Um, he had that year, what, two years ago, where everybody loved him because they had him on their fantasy team and he scored all those touchdowns. I mean, that's going to go down as the best year of his career and somewhat of an anomaly, but he deserves to be on a team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's really no other better options out there. No, and I was kicking around the league, you know, is there anybody you could try to trade for? I mean, I was thinking, you know, teams that just drafted a tight end, could you go get Tyler Higby or one of the Giants guys? And, I mean, maybe, but so what? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know that there's a, a trade. Walford in to... Oakland where they got Jared Cook, I mean. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but... I mean, those were guys I liked Higby. I liked Walford coming out. Um, takes a while for tight ends to develop. How about this, Dad? I heard this today on, on one of Pro Football Focus's podcasts. I know this is a totally different story, but they did a lot of extensive homework on when players are their most productive in terms of age. And the tight end position is 29 years old. You know, that's when tight ends wow. are at their very best, where wide receivers are 26. You know, like. All these young tight ends out there, people sour on them so quick, but they don't get good until they're like Barnage's age, you know, like a couple years ago. Well, any any reason why? Well, I just, I mean, I think it's historically a really difficult rookie tight ends. This was something we learned, you know, I learned heavily when I was involved with fantasy at ESPN. Was rookie tight ends historically do nothing? You know, like Hunter Henry was a little bit of an anomaly. But it's a really hard position to come in and make an impact. You know, you've got to kind of be a full-grown man. You're kind of learning two positions at once, you know, blocking, mm. tackle, and wide receiver. Um, but it amazed me, though, that the peak of tight end's productivity is at 29 years old, where some positions are, you know, are considered dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, running backs are done at 29. Yeah. <laughs> I, did a, I did an article last summer, I believe, and tight ends really don't take off into their third, fourth year. So, I mean, it does take these guys a while. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, now sticking to the, the, the Steelers, best team in the division, you would think, at this point? I think pretty clearly, to be honest with you, and I think they're they're also clearly the second best team in the AFC. You know, I did a power ranks not too long ago, and I put New, Eng- New England clearly at one, and then I put 
Pittsburgh, Seattle, and Atlanta in their own tier as runner-ups? Would you would you number two overall? Yes, but Atlanta's still yeah. pretty darn good, and Seattle is too. I think you can put those three in a bag and shake them up. Is Pittsburgh clearly better than Oakland? I think so, because Oakland's defense to me is clearly inferior. Um, another thing I just did on a different podcast, I did the top ten offenses. I ranked them one to ten, and I'm going to do defenses today. Um, and I had Pittsburgh in the conversation for number one. I, again, I thought it was New England, Atlanta, and Pittsburgh in the contention for the top spot, draw a line underneath them. And then I think I had Oakland at four, four or five. But I'll take the Steelers or defense over Oakland's for sure. Interesting. Here's the question for today. Is Pittsburgh clearly better than Baltimore, who they barely beat in the division last year? I think so. And I mentioned that I'm going to do my top ten defenses, and Baltimore's very high on that list. You know, uh, they were so good to run. They were so hard to run against last year. And now they've added corners and pass rush without losing much on defense. But their offense is really worrisome to me. You know, I mean, their offensive line took a hit. They added nothing at the receiving positions. Flacco hasn't played well in a couple of years. Um, I think they have to win, you know, win games 10-9, 13-10. And maybe they're equipped. They're always really good on special teams. But, man, that, that offense needs help. So do you think that team is taking a step overall back? Because they're a weird team last year. They started well, then fell off, and then you know came back towards the end. It wasn't good enough. Um, it just seems that they're lacking something, doesn't it? And maybe it's just offensive firepower. Yeah, and they go through offensive coordinators like water. You know, I mean, for one of the most stable organizations from – owner to GM to head coach to quarterback, the offensive coordinator situation is just a revolving door because nobody's getting it done. Um, it makes you wonder if, you know, is Flacco turning into a coach killer or, you know, is there more to this story? You know, the, really, since he signed his huge deal, the Ravens have kind of been a mediocre team, you know, an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven type of team. And you look at the really the last two years, even though the record aside, their points for versus points against are pretty much equal. You know, I mean, they're they're kind of just right down the middle. I mean, they're even Stevens from the Seinfeld episode. Gary, Gary Kubiak getting – John Fox getting fired in Denver kind of screwed the Ravens up, didn't it? Because they're looking like they're having some stability there with Gary Kubiak as conference coordinator. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, but that's happens. I mean, you know, you want coordinators who are going to be or good enough to be head coaches, so that's the risk you take. Um, the Steelers, are the Steelers good enough? Because, I mean, you know, this is a team that hasn't had a losing record in 14 years. But it seems like they've got up to the peak. You know what I mean? Are, are they good enough? Can they beat... New England in New England in the AFC Championship one out of ten times, can they? It's such a bad matchup for them over the years. 
because of the style of defense they played, you know, that they play a lot of off coverage and beat you with blitz and things like that. Well, Brady eats that up. You know, you're never going to confuse them. You know, if you give them, they play so much zone. You know, they were the second highest amount of zone coverage in the league last year to Carolina, and Brady just picks that apart. You know, and so that's a bad matchup. But who knows? I mean, let's say the Steelers, Le'Veon Bell got hurt very, very early in that game, and what if they had Martavis Bryant? I mean, can they win a shootout 50-48 to in Foxborough? Maybe, but people hate me around here because I get asked that question all the time. What do the Steelers need to do to beat New England? Well, they need to wait for Michael Jordan to retire. Right. Right. I mean, unless it's just kind of a fluky thing. That's why I think a lot of people, I think Peter King today did his power rankings. They had Oakland, too. I think people may be wanting to see Oakland be the team that challenges New England because mm-hmm. you've seen Pittsburgh do it and they can't. So they're looking for new blood. I do think Pittsburgh is better than Oakland. I just think the gap between one and two in that conference is huge. Yeah, and I think the gap between one and two in the entire NFL is huge. Yeah, we, yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah. So, are, are the Steelers poised to win? What's what's their ceiling win? Maybe they can get the the top seed and host New England and at least have that advantage. Yeah, that, I mean that's what everyone around here talks about. Is that that's the goal? is if you could get that one seed and play the AFC Championship game here, and obviously we're jumping to 54 conclusions. I mean, people are going to get hurt, and you know who's to say they're even one of the top two teams in the AFC when it's all said and done? But that would make things easier. But it's not like Brady hasn't come in here in one games either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think he's going to lose a whole lot of sleep coming to Pittsburgh. Yeah, interesting. So, are you find this to be an interesting – last week we did the AFC East, and we didn't find it to be a very interesting division. Is this the same thing? Is it not going to be an interesting division? Because, I, I mean, you look at it, one superior team, Baltimore, you don't know. I, I would think you would say Baltimore should be a wild-card contender. Um, they could be, you know, because of the program. And they did draft well. You can well. say that every year. Yeah, yeah. They're never going to be 4-12. and 12. Right. Um, you know, I do like, it does seem like Ozzie, Ozzie Newsom still is an effective GM. He, I think he drafted well. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I think he's, I mean, it's, it's a high-quality organization without question. I'm not sure the same is true for Cincinnati. Right. Yeah, what, what about Cincinnati? I, I see them as uh, a falling, a falling stock, don't you? I do. I really thought that before the draft, and I still do. But I like their draft. You know, I, I thought they got quality football players. You know, some red flags aside, obviously. Um, but I, I keep coming back to the offensive line. I mean, it was really good two years ago. It, it was a liability, or certainly worse, last year, and. The right tackle center situation both those years wasn't great. And then they lose their, their top two guys on top of that. I mean, I think their offensive line might be the worst in the league. And Andy Dalton was, is surrounded now by ridiculous talent at the skill positions, and that's great. But can you throw bombs to John Ross and A.J. Green from your back? You know, can you get a running game going 
with these guys that are blocking for you, I, I think it's a major concern. You know, the Bengals and the Giants are two teams to me that decided, you know, our offensive problems, we're just going to ignore the line and we're just going to bring in more talent and scheme you up, I guess, and see what it goes. I mean, so I think that's interesting. You know, you might, you asked, is this, is this division interesting? I think that's an interesting test of, you know, with an average starting NFL quarterback and elite, you know, receivers and running backs and tight ends, but terrible O-line, can you have an above-average offense? And I think those two teams will show us yes or no. We'll see. Have we ever seen that before? I mean, I'm sure we have, and it's kind of putting you on the spot, but is there any, is there any offense like that that reminds you of the Bengals really good other than a bad, bad offensive line? Not that comes to mind, but, yeah. I mean, certainly some of those Peyton Manning lines and Brady lines weren't as great. You know, the quarterback made them, and this isn't going to happen in Cincinnati, but even like Roethlisberger when he went, we were talking about this today too, like when the Steelers beat Arizona in the Super Bowl, their offensive line was terrible. But Ben extended plays for a year and a half, you know, or when Brady hasn't had great lines or certainly Manning, they come to the line of scrimmage, they identify a mismatch, get out of their hand before anybody can get to them. You know, where the quarterback would make up for the bad lines as opposed to the pass catchers and running backs. Right. Yeah. Do you think John Ross can make a, a, a huge impact this year? Mm. Yes, but, like, I don't want him on my fantasy team. Like, I don't think his numbers are going to be outstanding. I don't think he's going to be an offensive rookie of the year type of guy. But he might catch 38 passes for four touchdowns, three of them are 80 yards, and that could be more than enough if, defensive coordinators are afraid of him. You know, I mean, I don't think he needs to make a lot of catches and be on SportsCenter every week to have an eye, have a high impact because just the threat of Eifert, Green, and him, there's a lot of big play threat there, you know. So you're probably going to have to play, you know, a corner well off him and maybe he can nick on dime a little bit. I don't know. I'm interested how it all works out. I don't think he was the ninth best player in the draft. But it's something that they've been looking for for two years, and he's scary. Right. Who's going to help who more? Um, Green is helping him this year or vice versa? Well, Green has, you know, and certainly Eifert have had some injury problems. And it's not like they're old men, but, you know, this game's hard on you. And that offense just crumbles without those guys, especially Green, of course, who's a superstar. Um, obviously Green's way more important. He's much better. But who benefits more from an uptick from the other? I don't think you can ever roll coverage Ross's way when Green's there, and maybe Green gets less of that when Ross is there. So uh, I guess it's equal. I mean, I can see what they're thinking here, not to mention, you know, Mixon's a good receiver as well. Right. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. And now Boyd's about- and you know. What about Cincinnati on defense? I think they're middle of the road. Yeah. Like I said, I'm going to do that top ten uh, list, and they're not going to be on it. You know, but they wouldn't probably be in the bottom ten either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their pass rush hasn't been great, but they brought a couple guys in. It looks like they're okay, and their linebackers are okay. And you know, William Jackson the third ends up being a 
uh, you know, a, a boost, I guess. You know, it's like an extra first-round pick. He comes back. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's a great group. You know, I, I think it's a pretty well-coached group, and it's middle of the road. When I look at the Bengals, I just see I, stale is the first word that comes to mind. I just think they're kind of they've jumped the shark. You know, they're, they're, their window is closed. Whatever you want to say, it's all negative. Mm-hmm. And I think they need to cleanse that head coach. And I think that might be true, but it also might be a little unfair too, because I think he get I think Lewis would get picked up in a minute, don't you? I mean, if he got let go, and it might be time for a change. You know, that, those those things happen all the time. But the word that I think of when I think of Cincinnati is cheap or frugal or <laughs> yeah. you know more worried about the bottom line than they are winning the Super Bowl or you know. The, Make the one extra move as opposed to, you know, let letting Whitworth go or Zeitler. I mean, you draft Zeitler in the first round, you get a rookie contract out of him. He does exactly what you wanted, and you can't keep him around. I mean, uh, to and me, that would really frustrate me if I was stays in the fan. division. Right, and now you're playing against him twice a week, twice a year, and, and that is the number one way to build in today's NFL is develop and keep. Yeah. Like, look at Dallas. I mean, they drafted those three offensive linemen, and I think Tyron Smith signed, like, an 11-year deal or something crazy. You know, like, they're never leaving Dallas. Right. It's just it's short-sighted, isn't it? I think so, and I think it kind of shows you what's important to the team. You know, we're not going to spend that money, and, you know. And then they didn't draft anybody. And they didn't draft anybody last year. You know, it's funny to me is everybody talks about well, they they drafted Abuye in the first round and Fisher in the second round because they knew this day was coming. They're well prepared. They're building from within. But then since then, they drafted nobody. You know, their offensive line, they've ignored for two straight drafts. So it's going to be bad. And those two don't look yeah. like they're good players. Right. Yeah, and then, you know, along with being cheap, they're also, we talked about this out of the draft, notorious for going after highly, highly character, bad character guys. They take shortcuts. And it's, and it's almost like they do it on sports. And maybe that's unfair, but we talked about the mixing thing. I, I, I said my piece on that. But it seems like they just don't care about that at all. And what's funny is, I mean, the same family is, is running the team. But, like, you would hear, remember, they were the last team in the league to hire scouts. You know, like, uh, like they're coaching as soon as the season was over, they were on the road. But during the season, there was nobody. They didn't have scouts. You know, they didn't. I mean, I, when I remember when I was a kid, they, and they were the terrible bungles, you know, the, of the, you know, the bad draft after bad draft. And, and people would tell you they would buy a Street and Smith magazine or Mel's magazine or something like that and just pick the big names. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was no Internet back then, and you didn't know who the bad character guys were. They didn't put anything into scouting, I mean, which, again, goes back to being cheap. And now they have, but it also seems like they just still do that. Like, well, Joe Mixon was the best running back, so we'll take him. And, you know, we don't care what else is wrong with him. And, uh, and John Ross was the fastest receiver, so we take him. So take him, right. You know, and, you know, but in, on the flip side, I mean, they got a guy like Carl Lawson in the third round who's a very good player and fell for medical and – that's really interesting to me. I mean, I, I think he's got a chance to be an impact player. 
But then what I'm reading is, you know, like you look at their defense, and their defensive ends are all 6'5", 6'6", 280. I mean, they're all huge people. And so they draft Lawson, who's like a 3-4 outside linebacker and 6'2", or whatever. And now they're playing him off the ball. Like, you know, and this goes back to, you know, my Steeler roots, too. Like, they, they had James Harrison for that one year, and they played him on the second level. You know, like... <laughs> He had right. good players, you know. Like, don't do that to Lawson. He's a pass rusher. Don't make him a, an outside, you know, a, a drop into coverage guy on the second level. Well, whose fault is that? That's a good point. I mean, I guess maybe that goes back to your Lewis conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I don't think Lewis is a bad coach. I just think no. You know, this is going to be his fifteenth year there. They haven't won a playoff game. I think it's time for a change. Yeah. No, I mean, I couldn't argue that. Yeah. I don't know if they're an underachieving team. I think he doesn't always have as many resources as some of the other coaches out there on many levels. He's won a lot of games, but would a change of face in that building be helpful? Probably. And, you know, a struggling team like a Jacksonville might grab him right away and say, you know, you can do that for us. I just don't think ownership is interested in it, though. No. I think they're satisfied with it. They're comfortable with it. Comfortable is a good word. Yeah. Um, the last team to talk about in this AFC North deep dive is Cleveland. Can Cleveland, Cleveland's going to be interesting in the next few years. Could Cleveland get out of the cellar this year? Probably a little too soon, huh? I think probably a little too soon. And I have hope for Kaiser, but I can't believe the quarterback is going to be a strength for them this year, <laughs> or even average. Um, and their secondary is terrible, as we mentioned. But you mentioned about you, – you said the word interesting, and you asked if this division's interesting. I think the Browns are the most interesting team in the league. You know, I, I love that they've taken this outside-the-box approach. And they've influ- – you know, just a massive influx of high-end young talent. And they have so much more at their fingertips for next year in terms of extra draft picks and, you know, free agency money to spend – that a couple of these guys, I mean, if Peppers and especially Kaiser, if a couple of these guys really hit, and now you got something, you know, and what's Corey Coleman going to be like in year two if he can actually be healthy? And so they, now they have an offensive line. And the little-known secret about the Browns last year was they were one of the best running teams in the league, but they had one of the fewest carry numbers because they were always losing. You know, so if they can keep games kind of close – and their front seven to me is very good. They have Jamie Collins, you know, like the, the, all these guys, these little pickups here and there. And Shelton's a good player. Um, so I think they have a front seven. I think they have an offense with a massive question mark at quarterback. Although Kaiser might be that guy, I'm not saying he can't be. And the secondary is atrocious. So even last year, I mean, they were a terrible football team. They won one game, but a lot of their games they were highly competitive through three quarters or so. Yes, a little call come in there, but uh, yeah. But what can, I mean? Do you think the overall direction of, of the Browns is pointing in the right way? Coaching, front office. Yes, I do. I mean, and their strategy was not to tank it, but almost to tank it. You know, I mean, they knew that. To get to where they eventually need to be, they need to lose a lot of games, and they got to 
you know, draft capital and all the draft picks they can get. So you knew it was going to be a long approach. And it's a gutsy move. I mean, I think that – and it's, it's also very deliberate. I mean, they know what they're doing, whether it ends up being right or not. They have a very distinct plan in place, and it's very obvious what it is. And, and the job is make the worst franchise in the league respectable. I mean, that's not easy no matter what. I mean, guys get hurt and all those things. But, I mean, it's still going to be a climb. I mean, it's still a long way away until playoff time. You know, <clears throat> we may have talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I think Oakland is their model. Like, Oakland, because Oakland was right with the Browns. They, they, they went through coaches like like water, quarterbacks like crazy. They did not win. They took them 14 years to, to make the playoffs. But it all changed with Mac and Carr. That's what Cleveland's going to have to do. They're going to have to get two franchise-type players. Maybe Garrett could be their, their Mac in the first round, and Kaiser maybe becomes their Carr. And if that happens, they're on their way. Yeah, and you know, Oakland built one of the league's best offensive lines so that you know their their young second round quarterback doesn't get killed and you can operate offense and they did it from outside the organization. You know, they went out and spent money on offensive linemen. Um, you know, similar to what the Browns are doing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, that if Garrett is, you know, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, T J Watt, you know, if he's a top five defensive player it makes a lot of guys around him a lot better, and you know you address the secondary this off season. Of course, the key is Kaiser, but they have so many nice contingency plans in place that if he misses, if he's awful, they still may get the best quarterback to draft next next year, you know, or sign Cousins or you know Garoppolo or somebody like that too. So, it, it and the thing I always say around here is, what if Kaiser's a hit? You know, like what if he's Dak Prescott or what if, you know, he plays a full first rookie season and any basic analyst would look at him and say, yeah, he's an NFL starting quarterback. You've got to stick with him. He's good. He's got a chance to be really good. And then the Browns, with their two first-round picks and two second-round picks, draft all secondary and sign the top corner on the market and the number one receiver and whatever else they want and don't have to get a quarterback. Wow. You know, I mean, their roster could be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Kaiser to me is a free lottery ticket. Yeah. What the hell? And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't put them behind. It's just right. another, you know, because they got more picks to come. They did. And if he's horrible, you can even play Kessler. I mean, Kessler could, right. be, you know, get you through games and things. Right. Yeah, so I, I mean, hey, look, at, for this year, I, I don't know if I picked the Browns over the Bengals, but I like the I like where the Browns are going. They're at least fresher than the Bengals are right now. Agreed. Agreed. You know, in a way, I would rather be head coach, GM of the Browns than I would the Bengals. Right. And And you can even, I mean, maybe it might be a little stretch with Baltimore, but in three years, who would you rather be, the Browns or the the Ravens? In three years, I might rather be the Browns than the Steelers. Yeah. You know, three years, I may yeah. rather be the Browns than the Patriots or anyone in the league. I mean, I think that's a possibility. That, I mean, just think if, you know, Garrett's in his third year and fourth year and is already a stud, and they still don't have anybody that counts anything against the cap. You know, they still have all these guys on their rookie deals. 
Right. I mean, that, that's the thing about this stuff. It always, it, it always turns. It may take a while, and some teams it may, the bus may stop a few, few times, but the hell, the Cubs won the World Series. The, the Warriors and Cavaliers are going to play in the NBA championship very likely for the third straight time. They mm-hmm. were awful for years and years, both those teams. You just gotta, you just gotta wait it out sometimes. Yeah, you know, and I think Roethlisberger is slightly beginning to decline. Not that he's a bad quarterback, but he may not even be in the picture two years from now. You know, they might not have a quarterback. Andy Dalton's not all of a sudden going to turn into Superman. Flacco's really been struggling. I mean, maybe he's not even on the roster, but the Browns might have the best quarterback in the division two years from now. Yeah, I mean, and that, and that's what it, all it takes. That. Like I, I, Doug Whaley last yesterday was on Sirius Radio, and he said, "Hey, if I get another chance as a GM, I'm going to get my franchise quarterback earlier." Well, that's easier said than done. Yeah, and, and you you tried with with BJ Manuel. It's easier said than done, but that is what it takes. Right, right. No, you're hundred percent right. You know, I mean, and I keep going back to Oakland because they're a team that I'm very familiar with, and they're a team that's very much on the rise. And I think, frankly, Reggie McKenzie may be a little overrated, but he got his quarterback, and that's where you get over, you know, he picked the the right quarterback at 36. There was four quarterbacks in that draft. He was the fourth one. He needed a quarterback. He picked him, and his lottery ticket hit, and everything changed around him. And that's all it takes, but it's not that easy. Yeah, and... This is taking nothing away from these men, but maybe Bill Belichick's a little overrated. Maybe you know uh, Coach Walsh is a little overrated. Coach Coach Knoll, Coach Shula, you know guys that had Marino, Bradshaw, Montana, Brady, you know, or you know uh, Coach Dungy, you know guys that have all-time great quarterbacks. Maybe those coaches, if they had Andy Dalton, would be playoff teams, but not you know a million rings. Yeah, and you know what? And I've heard people say maybe maybe Brady, maybe Montana are overrated. And, and it could go the other way, too. Coaches. I mean, if Brady so got drafted knows? by the Browns, would we even know who he is anymore? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who, who knows? But all I know is that you got to get a quarterback and you got to play well. Yep. So, well, cool. So as we recap this AFC North deep dive, can we uh, – Pittsburgh on top until further notice, basically. Yes, and the Browns still on bottom until further notice. But if I'm a Browns fan, I'm genuinely excited. Yep. Yep. Hey, before we end today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Cortez Kennedy. Should have talked about it at the top of the show. I mean, I don't know if a lot of younger fans know, but he was a dominant. He's a guy that won. Defensive Player of the Year award on a two and fourteen team—that's absurd, especially from the defensive tackle position. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, guys today at the age of forty-eight. I covered him for two years in uh, Seattle, and he was just a—you uh, know—he was one of those big teddy bear guys, always smiling, that just loved his lot in life. He loved being a stud football player. Yeah, and you obviously are more familiar with him than I am. I mean, I was. A little younger, and I remember him and Seau came out the same year, and they both were amazing players and an obvious Hall of Famer who probably never got his due because of the team he played with in the area of the country he was in maybe. You know, it wasn't in New York, Chicago. 
Um, that I'm not sure the, the general fan realized that he was one of the absolute elite defensive players in the league while he was there, but he absolutely was. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, well, well, hey, appreciate it. Good show, and we will be back next week. Let's do the AFC South next week. Cool.